got to stand. I want to try to move right along tonight here. Not that what I have to say is not important. It is, but uh, it's also, uh, I want to commend you for coming on out tonight, of course. And uh, as you know, I've said it many times, very few venues anymore on Sunday nights, uh, even around our country. I mean, down south, Midwest, a lot of churches still have Sunday night services, not so much in Connecticut and New England for sure. And I'm not saying that's bad, it just it is what it is, but I'm glad you're here tonight. Um, I said I preached this message this morning, I mentioned, I preached this message 24 years ago. I looked at my notes here, I keep little notes on the top of this little paper here. And I actually preached, this is actually the fourth time I preached this message. I preached it the first time in 1987, and then I preached it again. By the way, oh, I, I might as well, I preached it in 1987, February 1st, on a Sunday night, this is early days, for 1987, we had 41 people in church on Sunday night in 1987, it's hard to believe. Uh, we preached it again uh, in 1995 on January 8th, uh, that was 24 years ago, and then I, but I didn't notice I put another note here, preached, I did preach this in 2002, so this is uh, 17 years since you've heard this message, so Diane probably remembers this message, and I love to tease her, of course, in regards to uh, her memory like an elephant, of course, when it comes to messages, of course. And, uh, but John chapter, chapter 10, verses 1 to 10, and we'll keep some things the same here. Let's, let's, let's stand for the reading of the Word of God, but I'll, I'll, we'll change up things. Let me read all the verses. I know you'll follow along with me. Uh, one reason why we do responsive reading, reading is so it forces you to stay along and keep up with the reading. That's why we do that. But I, you're all good sheep tonight, so you're going to follow along with me as I read, okay? So let me do the reading here. And... Uh, John chapter 10, verses 1 to 10, allow me to please read. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, Jesus said, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name. He knows my name, he knows your name. And leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he knows his sheep, by the way, he goeth before them. He doesn't drive. He's not a cattle, uh, cattle uh, shepherd. He's a sheep shepherd. He goeth before them, and the sheep follow him. He leads the way, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will follow, flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable... Spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. You know, sometimes we hear the preaching of the Word of God and we don't understand what the Word of God means, or rather, what uh, we read the Bible, we don't understand it, but we keep, keep reading and so forth, and God reveals, and He's going to reveal a little bit more here, verse number six, uh, or verse number seven. Then said Jesus unto them, Verily, verily, of a certainty, of a truth, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me, no other Christ, are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Let me say that again. I am the door, Jesus said, by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Verse 10, I quote it all the time. It seems like I quote it almost every week. But why don't you read it with me? It is our text first. Ready? Here we go. 
The thief cometh not but to for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. May God is blessing the reading of his word. I want to preach a message tonight entitled, well, What is the Abundant Christian Life? Let's make our prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I guess I'm in a hurry tonight here, and i just really just thinking about your people. I wouldn't want anybody to get into an accident of any sorts tonight. So keep your sheep safe tonight. Bless them for coming out on a potentially uh, slippery night. And Lord, bless those again, as Brother Jim already prayed, for those that are, are not here tonight, for whatever reasons, we pray a prayer blessing upon them. But the minutes that we have, Lord, speak to hearts, we pray. That we understand what the abundant Christian life is and how, how to attain it, we pray. Ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated tonight. These messages, I'll let you know, I call it a pastoral preaching secret. They, they grow as years go by. It's obviously my fourth time preaching, and I, I took out some notes and added some notes, and now I'm going to take out several more notes just mentally as we go for time's sake. But, you know, there's a lot of types of Christians, a lot of kind, different kinds of Christians in this world today. There's carnal Christians. Corinthians talks about that. There's, there's striving Christians. Colossians 1 talks about that. There are baby Christians. Again, Corinthians talks about that. There are defeated and backslidden Christians. And the backsliding is a Bible doctrine found first in the New Testament, or Old Testament rather, and also in the New Testament. There are Christians that forsake. Demas has forsaken me and having loved this present world. And then there are I'm going to use this word to begin with this evening, mature Christians. And for the most part, and I'm not saying this to butter you up, I'm talking to the most part, most people in this room are mature Christians, are striving to be a mature Christian. I mean, look at you. You came out on a Sunday night, and, uh, on a cold Sunday night, and when you knew it was going to snow, but you came anyhow, you're either fanatical or dumb, or you're mature and wanting to be, be uh, some of you laughed like, maybe that's me. <laughs> no, no, no. You want to try to please him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You want to be in blessing to other people. I believe that. And Christ came to give us life. Verse number 10 tells us the thief comes but to kill, steal, to steal, kill, and destroy. That's Satan, we all know. But I am coming that they might have life and have it more abundant life, abundantly. Jesus gives physical life. That's why it's sacred. He gives eternal life. But thirdly, he gives abundant life, and he calls us to this abundant life, and I'm thankful for that. The Bible says in this abundant life that the work that we have, Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, my yoke is easy. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness, the psalmist said. We have a great opportunity to, to, to bear the yoke of Christ and to bear his cross. And we say, preacher, that's hard, and there is a hard side to that. Two sides of the coin, but there's an easy side too, because Jesus leads the way. Jesus goes before us. So I have six words, and here's the message, if you'd like to write down six simple words on, that describe the abundant Christian life. The first word that we want to look at is found in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians. I quote it all the time, but I want you to turn there. Let's, sometimes it's the screen, and I'm thankful for the screen. I'm thankful for, uh, sometimes it's good to just listen, but... Uh, my wife reminds me all the time, Sonny reminds me that many times when I start quoting verses, first of all, she says, Marty, you talk too fast. 
And I know I do. I just 90 miles an hour. And she says, it's like a race trying to get through these Bible verses. And I can do this with this verse. I can do it in my sleep. I'm talking about 2 Corinthians 5.21. And uh, it's a great verse, but I want you to see it. And I could go real fast right now or try to go real fast and trip over my words. But let's read it together and we'll read it with nice normal cadence if we can. First, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Let's read it together. Ready? For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. I even messed it up. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's a great verse. Uh, that's a great verse to memorize. Some of you have memorized it. Many of you should probably memorize that verse. For he hath made him, that's God hath made him, the Father hath made him sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in, uh, in him. The first word that describes the abundant Christian life is the word the exchanged life. The exchanged life. His life for ours. Galatians 2.20 says it this way. I am crucified with Christ. I died. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. You're looking at a little Christ one right now. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There was a swap that took place. Jesus died in my stead. He died in your stead. Uh, we are to step out of our shoes and step into his. There's a book uh, many years ago. It was a popular novel, of course, Christian novel, In His Steps. And uh, I read it when I was uh, oh, in my 20s, I guess. It might be in college age time, I guess I read it. And uh, what would Jesus do? In his steps. And we are, we are the only feet that Christ has on planet Earth right now. We are the only hands that he has. There's an exchanged life that takes place. And uh, have you let, the question is, have you let Jesus take, take over your life? Do you have a frequent besetting sin, though? We all do. Every one of us have probably the answer to that. The real answer to that question is several. I don't know what your problem is tonight, what your sin is tonight. Maybe it's envy. Could be hatred. I hope not. Gossip. Backbiting. Lust. Murmuring. Complaining. Maybe it's apathy. Maybe it's pessimism. Yeah, on and on we could go with all the different sins that are besetting sins that so, does so easily beset us. We all fight with these sins and sometimes multiple sins and so forth. Anybody like that? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Everybody's hand should have raised, but I ask you not to raise it. We all have the, those sins in our life. Now, when those sins crop up, the, the fact is that Jesus has not been exchanged in that area of our life. Because Jesus never was... Uh, murmuring. Jesus never had hatred, never had envy, never had backbiting, never was murmuring, complaining, never had lust, never was apathetic. He was always about the works of his Father. And if we could exchange our life, our life, I'm dead with Christ, nevertheless I live. That's what Daniel sang about tonight, about this crucified life, that uh, Christ died for us, died in our place, died in our stead, to be our sin bearer, to be our Savior. We are made the righteousness of God in him. It's uh, too bad that after we, became, uh, after we became sin for us, we still sin. Romans 6, 1 says it this way, What then shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. There was an exchange that took place. You, know, you all know, I might as well, I can't hide it. I'm a big war movie fan, or all, all wars pretty much, but a lot of wars have uh, movies, admittedly they have 
vulgarity in them, and I shouldn't make this endorsement, but I've seen private, Saving Private Ryan a number of times. I've probably seen that movie probably, it's one of my top four, five, six movies. I've probably seen it, I don't know how many times, seven, eight, nine times. Every time it's on TV, uh, I'll see bits and pieces of it. And it inspires me. Captain John Miller, i.e., a.k.a. also known as Tom Hanks. And uh, the, most of you know the story. Maybe, maybe some of you might not know it, but at the end, he's on that bridge, and, of course, he takes that last bullet, and, of course, he stays there because he was commissioned to save the life of Private Ryan. You know the story, Matt Damon. Not one of my favorite actors. None of them are my favorite actors. I don't like any of them, but they, they did a good job acting. And when Tom Hanks... Again, a.k.a. Captain Miller is dying on that bridge. He says in his last words, says, Private Ryan runs up to him, looks in his eyes, and then, of course, it fast forwards 50 years later to that cemetery scene. The last words out of Captain Miller's life were, earn this. Silly me, I got a little emotional thought. You know, there's a lot of people that paid for us that paved the way for us. I've had people in my own life that have paved the way for me. I say, preacher, why are you getting emotional? I'm actually thinking of Pastor Bennett. Pastor Bennett was so good to be. Stop it. He used to pick me up. Oh, I'm fine. He used to pick me up. He used to drive. <laughs> I laugh about it because I Think what I put him through. Dumb, young, dumb teenage kid that I was. I had no idea what I was putting my pastor through. <laughs> he had to make him drive 33 miles around the trip to take me to church or to pick me up from school, take me home and go back to his house. And he prayed for me and, and, uh, and he invested his life in me and many other people too. Now he's got Alzheimer's. He'll probably never preach again. Uh, he's, uh, hopefully we're going to see him in a couple of weeks. I'm planning on going home and Going to see Pastor and Miss Bennett, uh, I was talking to, hopefully, he, he still knows who I am, I think. And, uh, but he, he paved the way for me. Well, there's somebody else that paved the way for us, and it's called, he's, his name is Jesus Christ. He paved the way for us. He exchanged. He gave his life for the sheep. He gave his life for you and me. And pray this prayer in regards to this exchanged life, which is a mature Christian life, which is overcoming abundant Christian life. God, take my life, take my sin, and let me exchange for your son's life. Take your sin, take my sin, Lord, once again. And sometimes we have to pray that over and over and over again. And let me give you another second word here this evening here on the, the abundant Christian life. It's an exchanged life, but secondly, it's a victorious life. It's a victorious life. We are, we are on the winning side, present tense. Uh, there's a battle, but there's a battle after salvation. And do you realize that right now there's a holy war going on? Most people don't realize it. Many Christians don't even realize it. We're playing for, I think, a Lester Roloff song. and uh, uh, It's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation field. It's a fight and not a game. Run if you want to, run if you will, but I came here to stay. Uh, there's, Christianity is a serious business. It's a fight. It's a war. It's a battle. A battle for man's soul, Bunyan said. And God's already given us the victory. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 15, 57. 
Turn over to, uh, look at Colossians 1, chapter 1. I alluded to it already, but Colossians chapter 1, turn there if you would, please. Christ living in us gives us the victory. Look what Paul says in Colossians 1, 27. I'm going to start reading here. You catch up with me, please. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hey, here's a real fact. I am richer than Jeff Bezos, and you are too. We are rich in Christ Jesus, the owner, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. We have gold beyond belief. We're going to walk on our gold. The Bible says, when, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. I'm going to be wa- walking sanctified in heaven as if I've never sinned. Wherefore I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. We are victorious in Jesus Christ. It's a victorious Christian life that we have. Romans chapter 8, uh, sometimes called the Magna Carta of Christian Liberty, that chapter alone. The great charter of our Christian liberty, Romans 8, 31. What shall we say then to these things of God before us? I'm thinking to my wife, slow down. Who can be against us? Verse number 37 says, Nay, in all these things we are more. Don't get ahead of me now. <laughs> more. I'm starting to have fun. More than conquerors. More than conquerors. Through him that loved us. You know, I didn't know, Adam's not here tonight. I didn't know, you know, they were calling Tom Brady the goat. You know, I thought, why do they call him the goat? I have no idea. Like, was it old man? Does they call him the goat? And, and uh, so Adam uh, uh, educated me. He said, no, Pastor, goat stands for greatest of all time. Greatest of all time? Well, I take issue to that, by the way. I'm a Cleveland Browns fan, so I got, I got Jim Brown in my mind, but uh, that's another story. Some of you don't even have a clue who he even is. But, uh, you know, I mean, he's a conqueror. He won six Super Bowls. But guess what? We, we're going to win far more than six Super Bowls. We're going to have more than six Super Bowl rings on our fingers. What good is Super Bowl rings going to do? Get serious if you're in hell for the rest of your life. We're victorious. We're more than victorious in Jesus Christ. But let's be real for just a moment here. Let's, be, let's come down, come on down from our orbit right now. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but I don't feel victorious. Now, there's the key word, by the way. I don't feel victorious. I want you to know in Jesus Christ, he came to give us life, our physical or earthly life. He came to give us eternal life. And he came to give us abundant life. Sometimes we just don't live in that world of abundancy. Sometimes we don't live in that world of victory. Sometimes we, we forget that we've had an exchanged life. And that leads me to a third word. It's back in John chapter 10, verse number 11. I'll use my little ribbon note here, and I just got back there in a second here. Verse number 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life. Not like that false pagan God that's not even real, Allah, that says, you know, kill for, kill for me. No, our Savior gives life for his sheep. Notice that we have a liberated life. Not only an exchanged life, a victorious life, but a liberated life. We've been set free from the bondage of sin. The song says, thank God I'm free, free, free from this world of sin. I've been washed in the blood of Jesus. I've been born again. Don't you want me to sing? Hallelujah, I'm saved, saved, saved. Somebody says, Marty, shut up. And uh, 
by his wonderful grace. I'm glad that I found out he would bring me out and show me the way. Oh, man, that was way off tune. I even know that much. Amen. <laughs> Here's the point. You cannot live the, Christian, the abundant Christian life if you have doubts about your salvation, though. He liberated me. He saved me completely. He freed me completely. Uh, I still have it in my mind. I'll have it in my mind. I'll probably use it another 20 times in the next year or two. But uh, uh, my dad's in his hospital bed, Nashville Hospital. He's sitting right here, laying right here. And last week, I think I gave this story, and Pastor Charlie's sitting right here, laying right here. Just got done with his knee surgery. Nice guy. I didn't know he was a preacher for a while. And get to the fast forward to the story. The next day, I, so I talked to him, found out he was a Church of Christ preacher. 55 years. And then his wife came in right before we were getting ready to leave. And I just saw he'd say something nice, something Christian-y, something, you know, nice, nice salutation, knowing that I'd never see him again in this side of glory, hoping that I'd see him in heaven. And I said, Brother Charlie, I called him a brother. Uh, I won't see you again probably, but I'll see you in heaven. And his wife said something like she turned and says, well, let's hope so. I thought to myself, I don't know why she said that. It took me back. I said to my, in my mind, it says, you hope so. That's what your faith is? You're 80-some years old? You preach for 55 years and you hope you're going to heaven? I know whom I have believed in. I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I know I've been set free. If the Son therefore make you free, you shall be free indeed. Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. And be now entangled again with the yoke of bondage. I'm liberated not to do what I want to do, but to do what I ought to do. He's given me his power. We live the liberated Christian life. We've been freed by our Savior who led the way. He went all the way to the cross of Calvary, and he finished the job. He said it is finished. There's the abundant Christian life. It's an exchanged life. It's a victorious life. It's a liberated life. But fourthly, turn to John chapter 15, and I, I don't know if you noticed. I'm trying to hurry. John chapter 15. Can you see those snowflakes out there yet? I, I just, 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 just sprinkling, just sprinkling. It'll be okay. John 15, look at verse number, let me read the verses and give you the, the fourth word here. You'll find the word in the text. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purchaseth that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Now verse number four. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they, they are burned. Verse 7, if ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. There, these things have I spoken unto you, that you might, your joy might remain in you, and that your joy 
might be full. The abundant Christian life is wrapped up in the word abiding, abiding life, the exchanged life, the victorious life, the liberated life, but the abiding life, in resting in Christ by faith, abiding with, with him uh, every day, every hour. Everything I need, is, need Christ is, is to be uh, when I need him. Uh, let me say that again. Everything I need Christ to be when I need him, uh, the definition of resting in Christ, that is. He's my all in all. He's my ultimate victory. This abiding in Christianity, abiding in Christ. The problem is that many times we leave the vine. We wither up. We got Christians to get out of the house of God. Christians to get out of the Bible. Before you know it, they wither up. Before you know it, they get out of church, they wither up. They, they, uh, they, they, they wilt. They, they, they get away from the truth and they start to believe the heed the doctrines of devils as we looked at this morning. And they begin to be uh, fruitless and barrenless. They, they learn, lose their joy. And so the Christian life is life of abiding. If you want to be abundant, have an abundant Christian life, you've got to have an exchanged life, a victorious life, a liberated life, an abiding life. Fifth word in Romans chapter 12, I think most of us can quote it, verse 1 and 2. Try to quote it with me. I'll say it together and I'll try to say it slow, all right? I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Go to Romans chapter 6. I want you to see this verse, if you would, please. One more verse here in regards to this fifth word, this word yielding. Romans 6, 13, when I was, uh, I was talking to Bob Latigo last night on the phone, he was my childhood buddy that brought me to church. I've told this story many times. He's a widower now. And uh, when he, we were young men, I think I was 11th grade in high school, maybe 12th grade, he challenged me to memorize Romans 6, 7, and 8. And I memorized Romans chapter 6, the entire chapter. I memorized Romans chapter 8. I got a little bit of Romans 7, never learned to get 7 all the way down, but I memorized all of 6. I used to be able to say it word perfect. I'm very rusty nowadays, but look at verse Romans 6, verse 13. Neither yield ye yourselves, your members, as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And... Um, Verse 16 says this, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants are ye to whom, whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. If we're going to live the abundant Christian life, there's got to be a yielding. And I would say this, it's got to be a daily yielding, a constant yielding. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, I die daily, every day, crucify the flesh, every day, hour by hour. It's a continuous yielding. We can yield and then we... We, we, we surrender and say, Lord, help me. Dear God, purify me. Dear God, help me to walk in your meekness and your, your way and with your love. And then we, we take it back and we get back into our flesh. And this yielding is a continual process. And it's part of the exchange Christian life. It's part of the victorious Christian life. It's part of the liberated Christian life and the binding Christian life. Last word, let's go to Galatians chapter 6 or chapter 5. And let me give you the last word. Galatians chapter 5. And then a summary in and in a, in a illustration, we're done tonight. Galatians 5. 
Now, believing that every word of God is pure, and by the way, just again, a little Bible, bibliology, theology. Uh, the Greek language you've heard said many times, but it really is a very exact language. Uh, more so than our English language, more so than the Hebrew, by the way. It's a very, very exact language in the cases, endings, the verb endings, and uh, uh, very concise. There's a number, I forget how many different tenses there are in the Greek language, and there's, there's seems like there's dozens, believe it or not. And uh, the, so I want you, to, with that in context, notice what it says here in verse number 22, Galatians 5, but the fruit, the fruit, singular, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I love fruit, different types of fruits. You know, we love apples. I had an apple the other day. Uh, we like oranges. We like tangerines. We like bananas. We like grapes. We like black raspberries. We like raspberries. On and on we could go. I go into Price Chopper Market 32, and they got that. They got the. I always look to see the raspberries. On, if they're on sale, the red raspberries or the black raspberries are on sale. They're selling them on sale. But when they're on sale, buy one, get one free type thing. You know, I usually uh, break down and buy a couple of those just, just for fun, ha-has, because uh, I like fruits. But here the Bible speaks about fruit, singular. Fruit of the Spirit is, would you read verses, verses uh, 2 and 3, or 2 and 3, uh, 22 and 23. Let's read it together. Ready? Here we go. Verse number 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. You all probably know that there are nine fruits <laughs> But really, it's the fruit of the Spirit. You see, the exchange Christian life is the, is a fruitful life. These are characteristics of Jesus Christ. He's loving. He's, he had joy. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Uh, love, joy, peace. He's the Prince of Peace. Long-suffering. I think how long-suffering he is. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Gentle, he's a gentle, gentle shepherd. He's good, he's the good shepherd. The good shepherd. Faith, he did all these those things that please his father. Meekness, he's the, the, the king of meekness, not weakness. Temperance, self-control. Against such there is no law. You see, we don't do these things as fruits because we should, because it's commanded of us, although it is but because it's Christ in us, the hope of glory, this fruitful exchange. I ask you the question tonight here, are you experiencing the abundant Christian life? Now, here's the $6 million question, and we're done here in about three minutes. How does a person attain this abundant, spirit-filled Christian life? Well, I gave you the six words. Incorporate the exchange life, victorious, liberated, life, free in Christ, abiding in Christ, yielded, yielded life every day, a fruitful life. But you say, preacher, that sounds so easy. It does sound easy, doesn't it? But let's admit it. It's hard. It takes work. I got an answer for you, and it may not be a sensational answer. In fact, it's not sensational at all. It's through a long, long process a biblical discipleship, walking with the Lord one step at a time, every day by day by day, even when you're getting defeated, even when you're getting bombed, 
I love, I try to watch everything about Winston Churchill there is. It's amazing how many English people to this, this day despise and they, they mock and they laugh at us Americans that are Winston Churchill fans. It was very grievous to me. And you, pardon me, I just, I can tell you don't know your history. I'm just, I don't mean to slap you. I don't mean to hurt you. But when Barack Obama, when he first got into the White House and he took the bust of Winston Churchill out of the White House, uh, that was an incredible slap in the face. He, he knew what he was doing, and he did it anyhow. Hey, I promise you, he knew what he was doing, even though you don't understand if you're not a Civil War, or rather a World War II uh, buff, shall we say, and you don't know who Winston Churchill was. But I read those, so I'll give you a book to read, Five Days in London. May 18th, I think it was, to, or May of 1940. And a half a million, thereabouts, 450,000 British troops were pinned against the beachhead in France there. And they were at Dunkirk. And Winston Churchill had just became the Prime Minister of England. He had everybody in his government, Lord, Lloyd George, I go through the names, his highest ranking members, Chamberlain was his name. Lloyd George. Uh, it doesn't matter. I can't think of names right now anyhow. His war cabinet, they were against him. They said, Winston Churchill, you're going to get us all killed. And he knew that the Nazi blitz, blitzkrieg was, was ferocious and vicious. They ran through Poland. Now they ran through France. And they, France fell within a month. And all these... English troops are on the beach. And he gave his first of what would be many of his never surrender speeches. And he knew, and he walked back in his, his, his aid, and later on in his memoirs, years later, some of this stuff was confidential for 20, 30 years. Winston Churchill had the weight of the world, the weight of the, Roman, the British Empire on his shoulders. And all of his political counterparts were like, surrender now. We don't stand a chance. And he walked back after he gave his speech to, to Parliament. And he's whispered to his, he muttered to his attache, his uh, Kellyanne Conway version. What have I done? And then there was the 50 days of bombing. And of course, the miracle of Dunkirk. And then there were 50 days of 43,000, 43,000 British men, women, and children, many children and women lost their lives in London mainly for 50 nights of straight bombing by the German Blitzkrieg. Churchill, and he called the mightiest man in the world, supposedly, he called Roosevelt, basically begged for his help. And the sleeping giant, that's America, we didn't want to get involved again. And we didn't want to bring any troops over. And so the answer was, sorry, Winston, we can't help you. Translation, die. Have a thousand years of the British Empire go underneath. We can't work, we can't work with you. And he gave those speech, that speech, and basically he said, and I wish I could uh, imitate, a, I'm not even going to attempt to try that English brogue of his, but he said, we shall never, never, never surrender. We'll fight on the beaches. We'll fight on the shores. We'll fight on the seas. And if our nation, if our nation... Uh, falls, then our allies and uh, our British and the British Commonwealth throughout the world, they'll rise up and fight until we win 
And we will liberate, we will rise from ashes, and we will win this war no matter what. And you know what? Sometimes, and I, I wind down my three-minute illustration, just turn it into six. Sometimes I feel like we're just getting beat up. Sometimes I feel like we're not winning. But our cause is just. And I want you to know that therefore be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, your labor is not in vain for the Lord. We're, we're, our work is not in vain. We are on the winning side. And one day, yes, it's true, we will say not it will be worth it all, but we will say it was worth it all to serve the Lord Jesus. Abundant Christian life. It keeps me going when the bombs are falling. It keeps me going when things are going rough and where everybody says, what are you doing? What are you getting into? I wanted to go into another illustration, but I won't here. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I really believe that I think pretty much everyone within the sound of this voice, probably not everyone, but I think everyone. Lord, they, they love you. And they want to be a victor. They want to please you. And Lord, sometimes it feels like we're failing. But Lord, you already won the fight. You said it is finished. The battle's over. It is finished. The victory is won. It is finished. There'll be no tomorrows. Lord, one day we'll see you face to face and we'll be able to say it was worth it all to serve you. Lord, help your people to, Lord, keep on keeping on. When so many have fallen by the wayside, help us to rise up again and fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life and finish our course of joy. Pray blessed, Lord, and maybe encourage a Christian here tonight that, Lord, we maybe came in a little bit discouraged, a little bit defeated, maybe a little bit down because of the besetting sin or a little bit down because of the tiredness of the battle. Help them, we pray. And, Lord, thank you that you... You paid it all and you won the, won the battle that we might live victoriously through you. Help us to exchange our life, have a liberated life, have an abiding life, a yielded life, a, a uh, fruitful life for you, we pray. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take our hymn book and turn to... Uh